We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arsenal fans forced to stop dreaming of the title just long enough to laugh at Spurs. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Glock Man Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Um, what you hear today is the sound of a weekend spent in Chicago uh, on the back of a weekend spent in New York. And my promise to you is this. I will not do another live event weekend until my voice is fully recovered so that you uh, do not have to explain why you listen to a two pack a day smoker do an Arsenal podcast uh, five or six days a week. So thank you for being here. Love you for being here. Uh, a wonderful, wonderful weekend in Chicago. And, and actually the football didn't ruin the weekend uh, because the football happened before the weekend started. So, so you know, there's that. Uh, this is going to be a really, really interesting discussion about a game that is very hard to describe and analyze. Um, and we will also try to look ahead to the Manchester City game. David Ornstein, just a few hours prior to recording this, has announced, to the extent that David Ornstein announced anything, that William Saliba is likely done for the season and, and will not be available against Manchester City. It is a huge blow, and, and how Mikel reacts to it, we shall see. Um, but you know what? That the, the job is the job. And uh, the absence of William Saliba makes it harder, but it doesn't change what we have to go out and do. A quick announcement. We are very, very proud and thrilled to announce that we will once again be doing a show with Andrew in London on the final weekend of the season at Union Chapel in Islington. Andrew and James will be there. Tim, Clive, Paul, and myself will be there. You know, last season did not end the way we hoped. I think everybody knows that. And yet that event was still an uplifting celebration of uh, fandom, community, support, uh, Arsenal. It was it was a beautiful thing. We're going to do that again, regardless of what happens as this season winds down. And we hope that you will join us there and, and meet so many more amazing people. And there'll be prizes and there'll be questions asked and things like that. The tickets for that are going to go on sale tomorrow, Tuesday, April 25th, probably around um, 1 p.m. UK time. Now, just because last year when we did this, the ticketing situation became a bit of, of chaos. We are going to make tickets available first to patrons. Um, it allows us to 
hopefully have a smoother ticketing situation. So for the first day, uh, all day Tuesday until Wednesday, tickets will be available to patrons. So if you want to join the Patreon, where the money this month went to a good cause, as I think you know, uh, and you do want to go to that event, that'll give you a chance to... Um, to have that first access to those tickets. And of course, that would be Andrew's Patreon as well, our Splug's Patreon as well. So just quick uh, little update there, and now we can get on to the 3-3. Three, three. I, I mean, I, I would be okay talking about the 6-1. Six, 6-1, one. Six, one, that, that's the score. Newcastle 6, Tottenham Hotspur 1. It was 5-0 after about 20 minutes. Um, and it's just a reminder that Tottenham get battered everywhere they go. Uh, St. Totteringham's Day has arrived, so I think we should at least celebrate that. We are going to finish ahead of Tottenham Hotspur for the first time in many years. It's weird to even say that, but we will be a Champions League team and we will be above Tottenham Hotspur and those are things we should celebrate. But there's just too much important work to be doing right now. Um, too much important discussion to be having right now about Arsenal to focus on you know, that little club down the lane. So let's introduce the people who will be having that conversation today. Paul's on Twitter, pause my pants, hello, pause. Woohoo! And Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Tim, obviously on his way back from Germany, where the Arsenal women uh, proved once again the mentality monsters that they are, coming back from a 2-0 deficit to uh, finish the game 2-2 and set up what should be a stunning second leg at the Emirates, which I believe is going to be sold out. So it's going to be it's going to be rocking. I'm looking forward to that. We'll definitely have some stuff about that. So where to start? Um, Arsenal 3, Southampton 3, and Clive... Let's start with the lineup itself because ultimately the lineup becomes a, a big talking point by the end. I don't know that I was too concerned about it ahead of the game. I don't think any of us were expecting this to be difficult. But the decision to start Fabio Vieira is one that a lot of people are talking about. Can we just quickly talk about the importance of players knowing where they stand in the pecking order and what they've earned. I mean, I think Fabio Vieira has been that Shaka replacement, that left eight when Shaka has not been available. Shaka was ill. Fabio Vieira comes in. A lot of people felt that it should have been Leandro Trissard. Where, where do you stand on the, the Fabio Vieira starting left eight situation? Uh, one of my phrases, oh, I've got many phrases. <laughs> Is that many <laughs> games were lost. <laughs> games were lost before kickoff. Right? And, um, and, or points lost before kickoff, maybe is a better scenario for this case. Um, and when that team selection came through, I, I raised my eyebrows a little bit. But if you gave me three players to play next to party, right? So uh, really, that's what we're asking for. But we all push up in our minds and think about the five lanes in attacking position. So in a game against the bottom team in the league, we are thinking we're going to control the ball, have 80% possession, and we want a creative player to help break down a low block. So we can sort of say, you know what, we'll be fine. But in my head, I was thinking, that guy Trossard has done really well recently, and he really deserves to play a game of football. There's opportunity to get him on the pitch in his position, which I think he can do very, very easily. So he'd have been my first choice. My second choice for that position would have been Jorginho, actually. Interesting, because okay. And the reason why, as you guys would have known what I said on last week's podcast, I think the team, I would like to see a tweak in the, team, in the team. I would like to see us play a much more of a double pivot system. And the reason why I want to see us do that, Kieran Tierney highlighted it, the build-up issues, and Rob Holding's build-up issues highlighted it. I'm sure you'll get to what happened in this game later on. And once you're asking Thomas Party to move positions to play, help our build-up, you are then asking a 22-year-old 
to them stand in the center of the pitch, know where to stand and control our team if anything was to break down. And I think that was a risk. That was a high risk, you know. Um, so I would have picked, you know, Trossard first pick, Georgina just behind. And I mean, because don't forget, we spent money on him in January just for this moment. Just for this moment, when our asses are twitching and we could bring on someone who's won the European Championships and we who's won the Champions League, played in a final, understand big moments. And this was the day to just... I'm a pragmatist, Elliot. If if, if, um, if Tom Yassi was fit, trust me, I'd be saying he should be playing left-back right now. You know, uh, that's so, you know, let me tell you this right ahead of time. You know, I'll be saying, let's have four big boys at the back and go from there. So I'm a pragmatist by heart. You set your platform, you go from there. And so I felt yeah. it was a, it was a high risk, mate, if you ask me, uh, I, which I, I wouldn't have taken. However, the Ramsdale era completely changed the plan. And that's yes. the issue. We do not know what the plan was because after 30 seconds, everything changed. Yep. No, that that's completely right. I, I think the performance you might see from Fabio Vieira in a game where we don't concede inside of 60 seconds and where we get our foot on the ball and get the territory and he can do his little technical stuff in the places he likes to operate as opposed to the, the panicked environment that he was almost instantly thrown into. I think it's a different game. I do think the thing with playing Troussard, like, and we see this with Pep sometimes. And, and actually, we've seen it with, with Klopp. I mean, hell, look at what he went to to chase the game against us at Anfield. Sometimes, if you don't have the team you want to pick, just put a team that's too talented for the opposition on the pitch. Just blow them away. And I sort of think that while it's a little bit FIFA, a little bit football manager, I get it. But like Saka, Jesus, Martinelli, Odegaard, Trossard, Southampton can't live with that. And we saw late that they couldn't live with that. And I, I just think maybe if you you do that, even though it's not the most technically secure team, the pressure you can create is immense. But but Paul, this game, I mean, this is one of those things where I think we all know if that game isn't one nil Southampton one minute in it's probably 4-0 Arsenal at full time. That opening goal created an environment that triggered all the panic from the last three results, created a much more open game. Suddenly we looked so frantic. I mean, there was a point in this game where I thought we might get two, three, or four, but they might too because it was it was so open the way we were, we, we we immediately looked like we were we were frantic after that. And I'm I'm curious how you think about the Ramsdale error because you just don't, to this young team chasing a title, the one thing it needs, it needs a big, comfortable win at home to Southampton that settles everything down going into the Eddie Had. And there's Aaron Ramsdale in the first minute, you know, creating panic in the, in, the, in the Emirates crowd, creating panic in the team that's not the team we want out there. It's not our first choice. So do you feel like the, the Ramsdale error just totally sets the tone for how the, how the game goes from there. And, and especially in light of what we've done the, th- the three games prior. Uh, yeah, like it shouldn't. I mean, it's in the first minute of the game. It's Southampton. We're planning to score three goals, four goals, something like that. Um, we're planning not to be conceding goals, but that doesn't s- seem to be something we can do at the moment. I mean, even the women are winning by do- going two goals down and coming back to two. It seems to be uh, something Arsenal do at the moment. 
uh, one way or the other, go ahead up to, they come back to, go down to, come back to two. Um, and like, we had so much time again in this game, but the, I think there's a couple of things going on. We're obviously getting somewhat rattled regardless game by game at the moment as each game goes by like there's the whole narrative about you know the west ham game was the same as the liverpool game the southampton game was the same as the west ham game but i actually think they're you know we are sliding mentality wise uh, to a lower place the liverpool game is completely explainable on its own but now you see this pattern at the moment and I think the other reason that goal, the goal we gave up, it's Ramsdale, but it's a little bit Zinchenko too, because he's the guy calling for it right there under pressure, right in the early moments there. Ramsdale should execute. And I guess nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, he gets the pace of that right. But it's given where this team is right now, I don't know that's something those two players should be looking to do in the first minute. And Ramsdale has his own choices to make. He can clear it, he can pass it out. You know, a minute or two later, when everybody's had a touch of the ball and passing it around, given, like, if this is November, December, great. This is the closing end of the season, and we know we're a little tight. So, like, for a minute or two, guys, get the rhythm of the speed and the speed of the game. So, like, and also, to be fair, Alcaraz, not that we're in this business, does a brilliant job. He's hiding behind parties so that Ramsdale isn't really noticing the movement in the corner of his eyes, and he jumps and anticipates it. And that was the Southampton game plan. And the thing I've noticed, we've had a number of disappointing uh, results. We had almost starting from the Man City one where we played really well, but in the second half, they did something that people spotted as a change they got very aggressive pressing us midfield and along our back line we've had a number of results we've been frustrated with liverpool what did they do first half we were ba- we were basically battering them second half they pre- they pressed us they pressed aggressively in midfield and our back line you go along the results we've had west ham we were battering battering them what did they do they started pushing out pressing us pressing midfield pressing our back line what did southampton do right from the get-go they had actually three guys matching up against our back line yeah and what i'm seeing is we don't like being aggressively pressed especially as we get twitchier and twitchier and yeah. the success southampton had was leaning heavily into pressing our back line and it's not something we think of ourselves as being really good at playing out from the back, but actually Ramsdale goes long quite a lot when off kickoffs, kickouts, and I think we're finding it hard to pivot in these games where teams sit back and be good at playing out yeah. to the same yeah. degree. The second goal is kind of pressure in mid, pressing and pressure in midfield too. Yeah, yeah. I, look, I think this. It's not rocket science. We are missing an important player in our back line, and it's having an impact. And Clive, here's how much of an impact it's having. I've watched quite a bit of Arsenal this season. I I may not read the game as well as some of you other guys, but I'm smart enough to know that Thomas Partey has not been dropping into the back line much this season. That's not a thing we've seen a lot of. Thomas Partey was dropping in next to Rob Holding to pick up the ball in the first phase. And all, what do you see? It's the thing you, you've been quoting uh, some statistics in previous pods. 
uh, Clive, the access to Saka, the access to that white Odegaard Saka triangle, like the right side just not connected. Well, how are you going to connect it when that central midfield player who's supposed to be standing right next to Zinchenko is instead standing right next to, or Ben White is standing right next to Rob Holding. And so I think we see it clearly on the second goal. Rob Holding is marking space and space has never scored a goal. Um, and we see it in the buildup. So I don't, I don't want to stick the boot into Rob Holding. I think Rob Holding is doing what Rob Holding can do, but I think that his, his inclusion in this team has created a, a, it created a domino effect in terms of its impacts, both in terms of where our defensive line is and also in terms of how we're building play. And we saw it with party in this game. Yeah, there's a lot here, mate. Um, I watched yeah, Rob well, Holding's first, I watched Rob Holden's first <laughs> game and what I found really encouraging from him was he was so decisive. He was so aggressive. And when you have a player that's decisive and aggressive, you can then play off of what he does What's happened in this game, and particularly that second goal, he was not decisive. He was not tight. And now you're not sure what he's going to do. And then the players around him now are affected. So we've been destabilized. We've been destabilized with our passing patterns on the ball. And we've been destabilized with our defensive intentions off the ball. And you're asking people to react to this. So when Thomas Partey's pulled over to the right, you're asking Fabio Vieira to react to the change in system. Well, he doesn't. he's not even in rhythm with this team. right? So I think that was too big a ask. And so now Rob's had his, his adrenaline games. He's now in a situation where he's not sure anymore. And what you don't want a situation, what was really, really relevant to me at the weekend, you had a situation where there was a, there was a player potentially that we were not comfortable passing to and there was a player in 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 Vieira didn't know where to stand so he could be passed to you know so we were destabilized and I I don't we can all we all have our favorite players and we can go and criticize them when we see fear if you want to criticize me on the first goal is criticize a goalkeeper that we were praising so much at Tottenham and at Anfield because he made a bad error and Paul's right you need to get everyone have a touch of the ball he should have gone right and then to holding, to white, back to holding, back to goalkeeper, ping out to left-hand side. Everyone gets a touch of the ball. That's what should happen. First pass should not be a risky pass between two players. To do what? Where's the reward in the first minute of the game? That's rubbish. That goalkeeper, I was saying, should be the England goalkeeper two weeks ago. So let's not, let's not dig him out. On the second goal, we get a ball from, from Saka into the middle of the pitch. Party's on the stretch. He gives it to Odegaard. He's on the stretch. He flicks it inside first time to Vieira, who decided I'm going to go for a run forward. Ping in behind us. Two passes, goal. No aggression from holding. So we're going to dig out Saka. We're going to dig out Odegaard. We're going to dig out holding. We're going to dig out Gabriel. And on the third goal, we've got back post. We don't win the first ball on the front post. Holding does not win. We he, He's great in the box in the air. Does not win the first contact. And second contact... Our skipper and our golden boy in the back post are asleep and they score. So it's for me, you have to look at the whole thing and say, what does the team need? It needs to be stabilized. Choose how you're going to do it. I don't really care. If you want to take holding out and play a different fullback, whatever you do, stabilize the team. And for me, you don't lean further into your model with added risk. You stabilize and you say to everybody, this is where we are at the moment. We're going to ride this rough patch out, which happens during the season. 
And my one issue with Arsenal, and it's been the same issue for the last two, three years since the Europa League, when we have an injury, significant injury to the pattern, our reaction to that injury, I don't think is pragmatic enough. That's, that's my view. And I said it lo- when we should have played Gabriel left back in the Europa League. I said it last year, we should have been a bit more pragmatic. And I'm saying it to you now, either double pivot this up or change system. It's quite interesting that you mentioned the women, Paul. They have had so many critical injuries. And bang, he's added somebody in the middle of that defence in Gen B. Bang, back free. Let's stabilise this shit. Let's stabilise it. I don't care what we used to play. You stabilise it and you go from there. And you wait for your game to come back to you. You don't add added risk. But I have to caveat that by saying that first mistake took the game away. I don't know what we were going to do. I never saw it. Do you see what I mean? All I saw was a, a panic situation, which is a continuation of the last games. And so I'm I'm frustrated about that. You can choose who you want to play. You can choose how you want the system you want to do. But recognize me to stabilize this group and make a change accordingly that's, that fits the group. And I don't think we've done that in this case. And we come away with a 3-3 draw with full of regrets, if I'm honest with you. And of all the three games we've in our 10-game unbeaten run, Elliot, <laughs> may mm. I say, um, mm-hmm. this was the one that bothers me the most because I think it was in our hands to have a different result. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the modern Titans of the last several seasons, where did they look to build their team to make them the, the Titans they were? Ederson and Stones or Diaz or Laporte. Look at all the center backs and, and the keeper that Pep went for. What did Klopp do? Allison, Van Dyke. I think that that Ramsdale and Saliba axis has been more crucial to the step up we've taken this season than maybe we think. Now, we had Ramsdale last season too. And look at the step up we took last season. And it was interesting because I was watching the FA Cup semifinal and the difference between the way De Gea plays and even Sanchez, who I don't think is a very good keeper. But just Manchester United can't play because they can't play out, right? Maguire can't play at all, so they can't use him. De Gea can't play at all, and they can't play out. And... And they've got a lot of talent up front, it pains me to say it, but they just don't push player, push teams into the zones they need to. With William Saliba, we, we push teams into the positions where those brilliant young attacking players we have can go make their mark and dominate games. And I, it's like, maybe it's overly simplistic, but I look at the zones we play. I look at where our line is when the ball turns over. If you're not ready to smash the other team, if you're not compressed, if you're not up there in transitions, then other teams can run through you. Other teams can push you back. You get disconnected from your front line. Suddenly, you're not having all the ball in the attacking third. And we, we've seen that in these games when the other teams either come back or in the period where Southampton got their goals in this game. And then you look at what happens when we do keep teams in the opposition uh, attacking third, like we did against Southampton late, and pile on the pressure, and they can't live with us. But I do think Losing Saliba has been, it's been a death blow in some ways in terms of where this team wants to play, what the distances are between the lines. And that's that's not me pointing a finger at Rob Holding as much as it's me saying William Saliba has been a revelation in how we play football, where we play football, and the, the system that we have. Clive, you disagree? 
No, I don't disagree. I was, I'm just, I'm just so frustrated. We shouldn't be one person comes out and we disappear. And Paul would probably. Are we say two something though? Because we lost Tomiyasu too. You, yeah, you know well, what I mean? because it might yeah. be Ben White playing there with Tommy no, Asu on the right. You just I mean, adjust. It, you just adjust. Adjust yeah. to the strengths and weaknesses of the players that you have. And if you have got an issue with your build-up, then switch the position of your second eight to be part of the build-up and pick a player that can build up the, the, the team. And that's it. And when this team builds up, we're stable. So if you've got a build-up yeah. issue... You're stable. If you've got a, a fourth centre-back that maybe needs a bit of protection, then protect him. Don't look at him and then make him have the most touches on the pitch because of letting him have the ball. You know, adjust. Adjust but, to so, the scenarios so can I just in front ask of you, you. I want to bring Paul into this too. Because, I, look, this is my sort of rudimentary reading of the game and I realise that, like, I'm still sort of figuring all this out and, you know, the, the positional football and all that's very complex. But, like, with Saliba out, what are we, we're noticing some things we haven't seen. For example, suddenly the space behind Zinchenko seems more accessible, more vulnerable. Why? Because the line isn't as close to the midfield, right? It's a little deeper. And so Zinchenko's a little further away. And so you can hit that pocket of space a little easier. And it's harder for Gabriel to roll over. And in those transitions, instead of winning it back quickly and turning them around, there's a place for that second man to run into. This, the second goal they score, to me, is a great example. You can't lose the ball there. That's not a great place to lose the ball. But when it goes, was it Alcaraz who plays the ball in the, to Walcott, yeah. I think? When it goes to Alcaraz, I haven't, I've been watching this team all season. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen five yards of space in front of the center backs for a, for a midfielder to run into well, what's interesting I, I is yeah, go ahead, Paul. The, the line is is a slant. Uh, yeah. Gabrielle's actually kind of pushed up. Yep. Uh, holdings another five, seven yards back and heading back towards goal, even though they haven't got full possession of the ball yet. I joked on see, the instant reaction that as a true yeah. gooner, he just wanted to be with the Ashburton army and experience that atmosphere. Perhaps <laughs> so. And it's like this. He's Alcaraz receives that ball in so much space. Now, yes. I'm no tactical genius, but no man should ever receive the ball in that kind of half space, center space, in so much space. Now, you can tell me other people should be there. I know Rob Holding is heading backwards. and a di Now, maybe he's been given a dispensation to drop a little deeper, but if he has, it's because they've said, Rob, you're going to need a little bit more space. There's no pressure on Alcaraz. Uh, Walcott has a flashback to his peak Arsenal days and makes a brilliant run. Gets a tidy little pass right into a perfect spot that has Gabrielle's head spinning uh, 720 degrees. And again, we're not in the business of complimenting Southampton, but man, they kill that opportunity. We didn't lay a glove on them. Uh, we didn't get close. They could that could have been a training move against uh, cones, um, and like so much space, no pressure, and it, it makes me think of two things. Again, it's a, look. Rob Hand Holdings, a lovely guy. We're asking him to do a centre back job of a different type of centre back, and I think it cost us in a couple of ways in this game. There was that moment, but uh, I talked on the instant reaction. The other thing we've we've struggled to do. Throughout the game was we were pushing them back into the attacking third, into the box, and Saka, Martinelli, whoever, would take a shot. There'd be four guys between him and the goal. And part of the reason of that is because we couldn't do that thing where you take the ball, you play it, play it around the center 
circle in an arc. The next time you pull it back to your center backs, to the goalkeeper, pull them out, and then you bring it up the pitch and progress it. Like when you think we couldn't progress the lines and we, or sorry, condense the lines. And you saw that on the second goal. Yeah. We were so excited about Saliba because we could play with such a high line. We could not just distribute, not just kind of do the straight up defending, but he can take pressure. He can take the ball. He can pull attackers towards him, pulling out their lines and creating gaps. Instead, we're having to drop deeper and deeper, creating more and more space for them to play in. It's not just defend individual defensive laps. It's kind of our MO for how we play is, you could almost say it starts with two center backs who can play basically on the, the, the edge of their attacking third and still rese- relieve all pressure, all balls over the back, uh, condense the lines, uh, play a back, distribute, pass around, take pressure. Um, and we, we just, our jam has kind of gone. And I'm totally with Clive. We've got to change something in how we set up. Can we find 11 or 12 great players to be on the pitch that all deserve to be starters in a slightly different setup or formation starting now, maybe starting a game before now? Yes, we can. Yeah. And you just... Yeah, you hit on a lot of the themes there for me. I want to read one quote from Mikel Arteta, by the way, on Fabio Vieira, on whether it was a difficult match for him, because I think this is exactly right. It was a difficult match for a lot of players, but for Fabio, he hasn't played enough minutes. He had good periods, but the way the game starts as well, instead of going one or two nil up and everything goes in your favor, it starts to go in a much more difficult way. That doesn't help. I really agree. I think the role of the dice you have when you play a guy that doesn't have a lot of minutes in him and isn't super experienced is if it's a nice sunny day and everything's going in your favor and he can play his football and he can show what he can do, you're going to see something from that player. And if it gets difficult... Then you need your killers. And Do, it reminds Doesn't it say something though, Elliot, in that what it said was we have Vieira on and we expect to spank them. And because yeah. things went the other way, because there's another side to the game, the other half of the game, he was the wrong player to have on the pitch. Um, and maybe he was just the wrong player to have on the pitch because how can you think that it's that you're going to be the attacking team and it's going to go your way? You could you could assume it should. But like games yeah. don't to have a player on that you don't think suits uh, being pressed and being pushed back. Maybe you should play Trossard. Maybe you should have set up differently. Yeah. Yep. And and I'll just say before I turn it over to you, Clive, that it, it gives me vibes of like Danny Ceballos or even Sammy Lakanga, players whose technical level is very high, who on a nice sunny day when things are going in your favor can play that little through ball and you know find their way around a marker and, you know, even score a sensational goal as we've seen Fabio Vieira do. But do they have the intensity? Do they have the physicality? Do they have the tempo? You know, the thing that I just noticed in the first half is Fabio Vieira was rolling balls to its target. And I think, I think that's what pressure does to you. Everything tightens up a bit too. Um, you know, to your point, Clive, what, what did Holding do when he first came in that first game against Palace? Balls were zipping to their target, right? And he was breaking lines and he was switching play. And as the nerves have caught up with him, that's all gone now. And 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 I think the same thing happened with Vieira. I want to start to pivot to some other issues, but do, do you have a thought on, you know, Vieira's influence in that first half? And I, it, look, it, it was not a good performance. And I think a halftime sub would have been Warranted. He gave him till about 56 minutes, which I think spared him a little bit of maybe more criticism and more focus. But it, it was it was clearly a weak point in the team. 
I think much like it's, it's really interesting. I, I've tried my best not to focus on individuals, though we can all see the structures change, the distances have changed, the average position has changed. We know that's a byproduct of individuals being added in or taken out. So I'm trying not to look at it. And if you were to look at a mistakes, a glaring mistake that holding of Vieira made, you probably can't really find one. But you know they weren't engaged at the right time. What you you know that Vieira didn't recognise the stress of his opponent on occasions and ran off when he should have stood still and just paid a bounce pass. These are small details that allow our build-up and cohesion to continue. And Granit Xhaka knows when to, to relieve stress. And Sleeber, he's never stressed and he can take people two-on-one. It's not a problem. And so he, so we feel we look and feel more composed with, these, with those two titans in our team. Right? So, yeah. and so And that's the truth. And they're not there. So then you have to react. Now you've heard me say, I'm going to say it for the third time. Uh, and so I felt, I, I feel, I felt for for him. And management is managing risk. And and I'm looking at the the recent games. And maybe I don't have the data on Gabriel Jesus' ability to finish games. I don't have the data on, on some of the, the wide forwards where they are if they're carrying injuries. But based on the last few games I've seen, and based on what I've seen with Leandro Trossard and what he's done when he's on the pitch. I would have picked him, you know. But you know what, Elliot? That became even more clear as the game went on because as I'm looking down from the west upper, mate, I'm looking down, I can see everything and I can see who wants the ball and who didn't want the ball. And there was a period in that game when some of our heroes did not want the ball. And the fans could see it. And they were picking on people as, on occasions, just out of frustration. I'm not saying that the world was ending. The fans could see it. They didn't want the ball at certain occasions. And those two kids on the outside of our pitch, they wanted the ball. And anyone who could get the ball to them, that was my hero. The only person that was brave enough to get the ball to them, and I know people ain't going to like this, was Thomas Party in the first phase of the game. right? Because people would look at the issues that he had because we were asking him to do two jobs. They're not looking at the game. And he was the only one who could pass it with any sort of bravery. And there were people hiding. And that's when you then think more pragmatically about the type of person you want on the pitch in the big moments of the season. You know, and those people who are not afraid to play are the ones you need to have. You know, and we had a couple there that we were afraid to play, I'm afraid, and um, or, or struggled with the with the occasion. There were people that make mistakes. Can I say something on that, Clive? Because, yeah. like, there's the framing of it, and, like, I think you're right, and I think you're right about Thomas Party too. I, I think the, the heat he's gotten in this is just a misunderstanding of how big a fucking job we give Thomas Party and how he almost pulls that off. But, like, on the people hiding... Like, I think the side of that, like human nature is, if you think you have the answer to the, the, the riddle ahead of you, you want the fucking ball. And if you're scratching your head, having tried 10, 15 times to do something and it's not coming off, you're finding three or four players cramping you. You're not as easy, easy to look for the ball. Like there are times you're literally hiding. There are times you're like, I don't have the answer on my side. Hmm. So I'll take the ball, but I won't go looking for the ball. You know what I mean? Yeah. Can, can I say one, one, one quick thing? I'm going to turn it right back over to you, uh, uh, Clyde. But the thing on Thomas Party, I think, is similar to the thing uh, on Gabriel Jesus that we'll come to later. But, like, I think a lot of the frustration about Party in this game is two things. He's the one who does the flick 
that gets taken off his foot and leads to the penalty last game. And he's the one who takes the worst shot I've ever seen in the history of humanity as the last <laughs> memory everybody has of this game. Yep. And you put those two things together and there's party frustration because we're, we're moments you know, we think in terms of moments, do me a favor, everybody listening. If you have a way, go to who scored or go to whatever your favorite website is yep. and look at heat maps. Look at Thomas Party's heat map. The darkest spot on his heat map is the right center back position. We will not win a lot of games if Thomas Party is playing right center back. It, it, I have not seen that all season. Go ahead, Clive, sorry. Yeah, and 100 touches later and look, look, I, I'm, I don't need to be... A, you know, defending him, right? Um, it's not I even need, defending him, just an observation. Uh, yeah, yeah, I just yeah. need, I need, I need to make sure that he has the appropriate help. If Grant Shaka plays, this conversation is not happening. I'll tweet, you know, because he'd be there. And so to get the closest guy to him, please, and get him on the pitch. Um, and then, then, then you, then you can do what you like with Thomas Party. If you want, if you want to adjust his position because you've got a build-up issue, adjust it. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure I was going with that, but I, I just feel. Um, this is the moment to manage stress and we're not managing it very well. You know, and we have the mm. players. We went to Jan. We have the players to do it. We're not managing it very well. And it feels as though, and I will say, I was in the ground beforehand. It felt tense. I'm tense for most games, but it felt tense. The ground did not fill up as early it as it It made me nervous did. before the game, Clive. Yeah, I mean that the ground was tense and I'm like, tense. I feel good. Yeah, it was tense <laughs> and... But maybe it was just me though. It wasn't tense at the Globe Pub. It was drunk yeah, at the Globe Pub. I, I can't, I can't uh, extrapolate my feelings onto everybody else. But I was, I'm nervous for most games to be honest. But I, I felt a quietness before this game, and mm. it was exacerbated by the first minute and then the second goal. And you're thinking, crikey, this is really happening because we all read the stuff. We all read the bottling stuff. It's in the back of your mind. And when we give two goals where you're thinking, maybe it's true. And then you look down on the pitch and say, well, who can I blame? Who can I go for? And that's what, that's what generally happens. Who'd made the last mistake, the last action? And this is the moment where you need a bit of calm, right? And we got our second goal. And if the Ben Whitehead had gone in and we'd gone in 2-2 at halftime, we win that game. We have a halftime tee talk, we win that game. It's the patch after halftime until it went 3-1, I, I, Elliot, I can't explain. You know, I can't explain what happened in that yeah. in that period where we just passed the ball around and didn't really hurt them. And then when I when I mentioned the word hiding, we were feeling back, sorry for ourselves. Honestly, I I think they were feeling they you know yeah, no one knew whose job period, it was to step Paul, up in that moment. Paul, yeah. He was right to sort of half pull me on that when I mentioned the word hiding because when I'm when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about that period where I felt some of our big players and I'm and I'm going to call them right, our captain and the centre forward. I couldn't find them, mate. I couldn't find them with a torch until for 15, 20 minutes. And this has happened in the last few games. The, the big players have gone at the same time. Then they all come back. And we go, oh my God, there we are. And then we're full of regrets. Do you see what I mean? And, and that's, that's the flow of a game. That's the flow of a game. So this is where you need to be boring and metronomic. Just keep the ball popping around. Get everyone a good feeling of it. Pop, pop, pop. Get it back. Touch around the corner. Let's get everyone bouncing. Get our rhythm going. We're a flow rhythm team. Let's get back to our flow. Let's not over gamble on high positions too early, too long. Let's keep our distances much tighter. It's almost like a swarm of bees going around the pitch as a, as a group. You know, and, you, and then you expand where you feel confident to expand and penetrate. That's how we need to play at this moment in time. And if you lose the ball, your swarm of bees will take care of you because your defensive distances are closer. And I just felt we weren't solid enough, we weren't pragmatic enough, we weren't rhythm-based enough. But I say that based on the chaos 
game that's presented to us by the first minute mistake. Yeah, well said. So, gosh, there's so, so, so much in this game. And and it, it I mean, we could talk about this game. Uh, uh, Paul, you want to build on that. So I'll, I'll, instead of asking a question that's not even really a question, I will just say, Paul, what were your thoughts that you wanted to add? <laughs> so I don't have an answer to Clive's question, but I wonder if I might possibly have an answer. Like that 15 or 20 minutes you're talking about in the second half, Clive, where we're like passing around, we're kind of, we're getting close, but you still don't feel... Like we could score, but you don't feel we're going to score. Um, and that's where I come to that point about if you have Salib in that spot, uh, you have a different – you think, how does that solve that? Well, guess what? You can pull the ball out, swing it around. Instead of going side to side and just banging at them, banging at and they're getting deeper and deeper, more compact, and four guys between the guy taking the shot and the keeper – you pull them out, you move it around, you have a centre-back that when he steps forward, they have to come out too, because otherwise he'll run straight into the heart of their attack. It, it doesn't change everything, but it's another option besides going at them from both sides, three guys against Saka, three guys against Martinelli, crowding the centre. Like We've seen that through the Wenger years for like a decade when we were good, when we late era decade, uh, uh, Wenger, when we were good, we've seen that story before, and it's a really tough one to crank. And that's why you gotta, I use the term La Pause, and you made fun of me, Elliot, but it is a thing where you like, you put your foot on the ball, or alternatively, you pull it back out to your, all the way back to your goalkeeper, through your center backs, through the middle, up through the sides. You move it around, you don't just go side to side, uh, try and bang it in the middle get rejected, have another go at it, swing around from side to side where they're all sitting in place. you got to pull them out. And you have to have threat when Gabrielle steps forward with the ball, when Saliba steps forward with the ball, that they're going to hurt you if you don't come out to them with one or two players. They'll distribute, they do a clever pass. It's one more factor to the opposition, and it's enough to create some space between their lines. And it's a big, big miss, and we need to set up differently so that we can hurt them from pulling the ball back and out as well. Yeah. Um, can can we, gosh, th this conversation is going to be a tough one to even get. Like we're not, e we're not even in the meat of this yet, but, but can we do one thing that I think is important because I feel like we've been skewing towards the, I hate the word negative. It's not negative. Just skew, skewing towards the challenges we had in this game. Right. Cause we had them. I want to, I want to take a minute to praise Gabriel Martinelli. Yeah. Cause we're seeing a player Clive just explode before our eyes. This hasn't been the best run for the team, but he has taken responsibility. And Pernod, is that his name? Um, I don't know if I've just named a body part you're not supposed to name or a player, the, they're right back. He was he was getting absolutely roasted by Martinelli. And Martinelli, he didn't have Shaka there, right? Zinchenko wasn't necessarily able to play in the place he wanted to, but when Martinelli got the ball... He had, he had the byline every time, a couple of pullbacks, he's unlucky, don't get tapped in, that someone isn't there to finish it off. A couple of balls across that don't quite get finished off. I think the goal he scores, if that's not easy, that's a volley that can go anywhere. He, he crushes it into the net. Like He's hit 15 goals now. Mikel Arteta full of praise for him after the game. And I mean, as I think Bukayo Saka being as good as he is, sometimes mean that Martinelli doesn't get his flowers. I think we should we should be thankful that we had that player that day because he he's a big reason why we we get the 3-3, you know? 
Well, Martin gets more flowers on this podcast than any other podcast. <laughs> so me and Paul are laughing here, thinking, Martin, they don't get flowers. Every week he gets flowers on this podcast. And so, yeah, but I will say, just to take your point up, when when I was standing there with my legs shaking, because literally that's what it felt like watching that game, those two 21-year-olds never hid for one second. They were yeah. both amazing. You know, and... I, well, another one of my sayings, you judge people in adversity, who's going to stand out, who's going to show up. And they never went anywhere, but anywhere that game, at any minute, they were carrying all of my dreams, mate. And um, Martinelli was playing against Carl Waterpeters mostly on that side. We had both fullbacks, both on the card. Perot was on the other side. They may have swapped over because Walker Peters is a player that can play both sides. And... And they kept challenging. They challenged them when they were in the back four. They went to a back five second half, Southampton. They got some nice players, man. Honestly, there's a team inside that team, Southampton. It's funny, since West Ham got their point against us, they've kicked on. And look at it to Bournemouth yesterday. There's a team in that Southampton team. That don't, write, don't write them off. They've got some really good players that are just a bit young. They're the second youngest team in the league. And guess who are the youngest team? It's us. The two youngest teams in the league, I think by point one we beat them on this occasion, average age. And you can see that their team is going to get better. If they stay up, they're going to be better. If they go down, they're going to fly back up if they can keep them. You know, so... And so, yeah, but Martinelli, that goal, mate, no right to score it. No right to score it. Bang. It's just there, dealt with. You know, under the highest pressure. First time, there you go. Let's go from here. And um, they are they're carrying us at the moment. And... We need to give them the ball as much as possible. And that was part of the adjustment for Pride to make sure we can get to Saka a lot easier into Odegaard and that side. And so, yeah, I, I can't say much more. I, maybe you should ask the Martinelli questions and then answer them yourself because well, <laughs> I think that's easier. I, I get it if I'm a little over the top on the Martinelli stuff, but like in this instance, I, I, I think it's somewhat warranted. I mean, the guy just had Pernod on on toast and he was he was roasting him. And he's he's a player who, you know, I think, I think there have been legitimate questions in previous seasons. Should it be Smith Rowe? Should it be Martinelli? And then legitimate questions even this season. Should it be Trissard or Martinelli? He has made himself unquestionably a player that has to play. And I think, you know, he's a player who is going to cause problems on Wednesday. I think he and Saka are absolutely the story of the game that's coming up. If we if we want to beat Manchester City, Saka and, and Martinelli are the players that are going to have to have good games on the edges, especially without uh, Nathan Ake being there for City. But we'll come on to that in a moment. And I think there's some Gabriel Jesus stuff that we should probably talk about as well. But I think one thing that we should absolutely talk about, and I think everybody would agree with this, is that, you know, we just want you, more than anything, to feel confident about the run-in. And the way you feel confident about the run-in starts with feeling confident about yourself. And the way you feel confident about yourself starts with feeling confident about your privates. And, you know, the way you feel confident about your privates is you shave them and you shave them with the best purpose-built product for that. And that's Manscaped's Lawnmower 4.0. The Lawnmower 4.0 is the best purpose-built trimmer I have ever used. I cannot recommend it highly enough. But I'm going to admit something. I I have, I'm a, a man of a certain age. And at this certain age, um, there's hair growing in places that maybe hair didn't grow before. Ears and nose in particular. Now, that can start at all different ages for people, and maybe you're already experiencing that. And Manscaped has the Weed Whacker 2.0. The Weed Whacker 2.0 has improved blades and motor. It has the skin-safe technology. It is a 7,000 RPM motor. It's cordless, rechargeable, and has a battery of up to 45 minutes of runtime. 
So you can spend 45 minutes trimming your nose. I mean, look, I'd rather spend 45 minutes trimming my nose than watching 45 minutes of football at the Etihad on Wednesday because I'm going to have to watch that either behind the couch or trimming my ears and nose hair. So, you know, just a thought here, you could get the Platinum Package 4.0. And with the Platinum Package 4.0, you get the Weed Whacker, which does ears and nose. You get the Lawn Mower, of course. You get all the great goodies and, and tools and um, tonics and lotions that Manscaped has. Let's just get this done. Save 20% off and free shipping with the code ArsenalVision at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off for free shipping with the code ArsenalVision at Manscaped.com. From below to up top, get the best in grooming at Manscaped's shop. Their copy has gotten less aggressive over the years. Maybe they're, maybe they're growing up and becoming a big boy company now. That's okay. We're, we're happy to be part of that journey with them. Uh, look, the future's so bright for Arsenal, you got to wear shades. And if you got to wear shades, you might as well wear Shady Rays. Ha ha, how about that? The best polarized sunglasses. They also make custom snow goggles if you're going to go snow skiing. Um, they have a lost and broken replacement guarantee. This is just bananas to me because, frankly, the only reason I've bought any sunglasses in the last 10 years is probably because I lost them or they broke. Well, with Shady Rays, if you lose them or they're broken, they will send you a new pair. That's what they're telling us. No questions asked. There's also a 30-day trial, a 30-day risk-free guarantee. So if you don't love what you buy, they'll send them back. You're going to find every style you want. All you got to do is go to Shady Rays and check it out exclusively for you, listeners to the Arsenal Vision podcast. Shady Rays is giving out the best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code ArsenalVision for half off, 50% off, two-plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's code ArsenalVision at ShadyRays.com. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. That's a lot of people. I don't know if you noticed that. It's a lot of people. Athletic Greens has the best supplement, AG1. So I did this. I looked uh, at some gummies. I was in the pharmacy the other day getting some medicine. Can't imagine what I would have needed medicine for. Couldn't possibly be the Malort that I drank. Um, and I, I just looked at, at a couple of gummy vitamins and on the back. Every single one of them I looked, the first ingredient was sugar. That can't be good for you. Switch to AG1. AG1 is 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, adaptogens, probiotics. It's for gut health. It's for energy. It's for uh, uh, sleep. It is for, obviously, all the vitamin needs that you have. It was designed by athletes for athletes, so it's great for recovery. Okay? I take AG1 because it helped me with my gut health issues. I think... You know, having something, you put it in water, you drink the water down, you get all of that great um, nutritional support, and it is keto-friendly, uh, vegan-friendly, paleo-friendly, dairy-free, uh, low on sugars we just discussed. Look, do it now. If comprehensive solution is what you need for your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash vision. That's athleticgreens.com slash vision. And I, I got one more, <laughs> guys. I we're going we're gonna to have a little talk about how many of these I'm asked to do because it's getting a little bit ridiculous. But you know what? We had eight minutes of stoppage time on Friday. You got eight minutes of, of ad reads on Monday. Oh, my goodness. BetterHelp. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp isn't just online uh, therapy. It's therapy. And therapy is important. And therapy is something you should do. Not because you're in crisis, just because it's important. And it's helpful. Right? Like, I mean, I, I cannot be any more of an advocate for finding a professional and, and working with a professional on your mental health. It's that simple. You do it for your body, whether it's the way you eat or the way you work out, you do it for your body. When, the, when you go to a doctor, your brain is the most important part of your body. And, and it, it's not just the job of our friends and our family to, you know, hear us out when we're struggling. Sometimes just talking through things makes the burden feel lifted. I, I, I have, I have used therapy and I cannot 
recommend it highly enough, but can you get to the office? Can you find someone in your local area? Do you have time to drive there? Do you have the right expertise in your area? With BetterHelp, you can find the right person, match with the right therapist, do it on your time, camera on, camera off. If you're thinking of starting therapy, BetterHelp is going to make it convenient. It's going to make it flexible. It's going to make it suited to your schedule. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash vision. Do it now. Clive, for the love of God, is that enough of that? Indeed. Indeed. Nailed it. Okay. Sorry, everybody. Back to your regularly scheduled football podcast that is occasionally sometimes interrupted, hijacked, dare I say, by uh, references to fantastic companies, it needs to be said. Five. Um, the, the second half fight back was great and all, but there was a moment that I think a lot of people looked at as a little bit eyebrow raising. One thing about this group is the group has been very, very together. You can feel that togetherness. I did not really feel that togetherness when Zinchenko was trying to huddle everybody up. Um, it was a, a weird thing, right? We'd conceded again. The belief is sapping. Zinchenko tries to huddle everybody up. Odegaard, who's the captain, was sort of like, mate, you know, this is this is not the time for this. And so they sort of half-hearted huddled up. There was a little bit of a talk, but it, it just didn't look fully together. I don't think there's a there there. Do you think there's a there there there? I think um, I'm more comfortable talking about the player rather than mm -hmm. and how he plays and, it, how, yeah. and his role within the group. He's been brought in for a leadership role and he can play football and he's transformed how we play. Tick. Right? I didn't know that level of play, level of fullback, quality of where he plays, how he plays the game, his quality on the ball. I didn't know I didn't know that existed. Right. So so he's taught me a lot this season about how to control the central areas. But he has a tendency on the football side of things to be a bit Hollywood. That's what I said in the IR. If there's a if there's a, a first time cross to be made, sometimes he picks the the hardest point to hit, you know, rather than the the simpler pass on occasion. He's got a bit of Hollywood about him, and that's his. He's number ten by design, right? And he, and he, he's somebody that transmits to the crowd. He's very passionate. I remember a point in the year, well, I think it might be the Bournemouth game when we've equalised, and he's jumped in the crowd. Now the guards had to pull him out of the crowd, you know, and um, you know, and because we got a job to do, and um, and so yeah, he has that about him. He's very de he's demonstrative. He's he, and he transmits. I I care a lot. We're sitting here like five points clear at the top of the table. And one of the big reasons has been him. I want to try to focus on the good things he can do. If I could have a word with him, and it's maybe not just him, you know, and I don't, I didn't agree with this when I heard his analysis, but I think there's some truth to it. There's a time to add to the emotion. There's a time to take away. And I think we need more people that want to take emotion away from the situation rather than add to it. And if that's the pragmatic side of me coming out again, I apologize. But the way I see the rhythm of a football season and the rhythm of football matches, the players that keep their heads under the pressure are the ones that deliver, not the ones that are screaming and dancing and shouting and, and waving their arms in the air. The ones that deliver are the ones that are calm under pressure and just do the same things that you always did. It's the most boring thing in football. I always say it to the players when I'm coaching players, just keep doing what you did that got you here. Don't do anything more. If you can do that, 
the next games when it's really under pressure, that's going to be more than enough. And that's a general message, not just a Zinchenko. Just keep doing what you did, just did two months ago or two weeks ago. There's nothing more that's required. You haven't got to give it the big end so everyone can see you. And so I didn't watch it on TV. I watched it live and I've watched, not watched that big yet. I think some of the TV commentary may have pointed towards a, a feeling and a scenario there. But what I saw was from looking down was we always have huddles. Here's another one. I didn't see who pulled it together. And, um, and at that time, we needed a huddle, mate. I needed a cuddle. I needed a huddle. I needed a cuddle. <laughs> yeah. It was um, it was tough, right? And so anything we were doing to get us back going again was required. And if that's what was it, that was it. Yeah, yeah. And like, it, I think sometimes as fans, we don't see the little things mattering as much as they do. But I think equally, we sometimes think things are bigger than they are. I think the group is still together. I don't think that huddle is a big, like, I just don't think there's anything to it. And and you can't ask players to be anything other than they are. And Zinchenko is always going to be like emotional. That's just who he is. Yeah. Go ahead. That's one last thing. I just wanted to say this. I did watch the bench cam. If you watched it, you probably, you guys have been dancing around, drinking, enjoying yourself. So, um, but there was a moment in the bench cam, which I thought was really quite much more telling than the Zinchenko piece that Arteta, then. Ramsdale just made the mistake and Ramsdale looked crushed by the way he looked crushed and Arteta just cuddles him mate and I thought that's that's us that's who we are when people have a bad mm. moment we put our arms around them we don't dig them out that's why I'm trying not to dig out people you don't dig them out you put your arms around them because they're young men trying to give us what we all want if anything they want it too much they want it so much, but yeah. City expect to have it. We are desperate for it. And that desperation is leading to a little bit of tension amongst everybody. We all want the moment. We all want it too much. And this is the time to really put our arms around the collective group. When I saw Arteta do that to Ramsdale at his lowest moment of the season, I'm thinking, if he can do that, I can damn well do my bit. You know, and support the club which way and the team in which way I can. And hold on, even though I'm scared to death and I fear what everyone else is fearing, I'm going to put it to one side because no one needs to hear about my worries. And we all have them. It's about making sure we put our arms around these people. Amen, brother. Yeah. And and by the way, I think Mikel said something similar at full time. He said, how can I not love these players? Right? Something along those lines. Um, and I, I feel the same way, to be honest. I think... He was also asked on whether it's down to individual or collective mistakes. He said, today it's clear. And I think what that means is there were individual errors. <laughs> and, you know, th- those are those are tough days to stomach. Um, we just put ourselves in such a difficult position to try to go ahead and win this game. And we nearly did it. We really, really nearly did it. Paul, Trissard comes on, I think, at 56 minutes. Mm. We go through a period where we're trying to get our foot on the ball and, and we sort of spring to life. And... I, I'm always careful not to bring too much of the online zeitgeist into the podcast, right? To just engage in some clear-eyed analysis based on how I saw the game or not clear-eyed based on how I saw the game. Um, I think there's been some frustration at Gabriel Jesus and I understand it. He's missed some big chances. There's a few things that that confuse me about that. Firstly, in a game where you score three at home to the 20th place team in the league, at that time. Any suggestion that the problem is your striker just feels like, I mean, you're, you're searching for, for a, 
a, a scapegoat. Um, and we do that. We all look for scapegoats, right? I mean, and, and I've been guilty of scapegoating players, so let's not pretend that we don't all participate in that. Yes, he missed some big chances. We still scored three. It should still be enough, and it isn't because defensively we have not been solid enough. I will also say that, um, you know, you look one game ago, and Bukayo Saka, our star boy, missed a penalty. Missed a penalty that easily sees us go on to win at West Ham, right? And oh, by the way, falls asleep in the back post for their third. Players make mistakes. Players fail to convert in big moments. We know that Gabriel Jesus is never going to be clinical. He did have like 1.4 expected goals in this game. You know, so you'd, you'd like to see him score one of those. I think the header is probably the bigger miss. I think the, the volley he puts over the bar, honestly, I think that's a really, really difficult chance. Um, but yeah, you'd like to see him convert one, but we got three goals. And if I don't know who on Southampton doesn't get one stud of his boot on Reese Nelson's shot late. Clive is experiencing his second Reese Nelson 98th minute winner of the season at the Emirates. It was that close. It was really, really that close. Uh, it was Ward Prowse who got his toe on that. An incredible block. By the way, also an incredible goal line clearance for the Ben White header. No idea how um, that player on Southampton, who I don't care what his name is, got back into the goal there to clear that. But so... So the, the thing with the Jesus that I want thing that I want to talk about, Paul, is not the zeitgeist part of is it Jesus' fault. I think Mikel Arteta learned an important lesson in this game. And I think it's a lesson that he probably wishes he had learned against Liverpool and West Ham. Against Liverpool, he takes off Jesus and he takes mm. off Odegaard. Against West Ham, he takes off Odegaard, takes off Jesus. Against Southampton, he leaves them both on, and neither of them were having a good game. Let's just say it. They were both. I think on the edges, on the periphery of the game. And how do we get back in the game? Because both of them absolutely come alive. Jesus pinning players in the box, spinning them, causing havoc, leading to second balls, third balls. How did we get back in the game? Odegaard getting his foot on the ball, creating tons of chances and scoring a beautiful goal. When you have a young team that has a limited number of really elite, talented players, I would say, leave those players on. They will figure out how to win you the game. He didn't do it at Anfield. He didn't do it at the Olympic Stadium. He did it in this game, and it almost won in the game. It, that is the interesting angle for me. W what are your thoughts on Odegaard and Jesus staying on in this game as opposed to the other two coming to life and I think being a critical part of the fight back? Yeah, I nearly uh, bit my hand off when he took Odegaard off for Vieira in the West Ham game. We'd, uh, we just won a, a free kick on the edge of the box. I could see a... Odegaard curler coming in and we were we, you know we were coming to crunch time in that game and you want more and more craft and you can have talented players who who've struggled in a game and like we always get in here's the <laughs> here's the thing that pisses me off right best contribution so far really <laughs> fucking pisses me off oh Martinelli's out of form oh Martinelli's miraculously in form or are we putting players around him in situations where he has options and he has spaces? Is Odegaard struggling in this game? Probably. Is he struggling because he's lost form or is he struggling because the one thing they've made sure is to bung up the Saka, Odegaard, White uh, supply route um, logistics, right? Crowd them, push them, put three guys there. I'm we like, can pivot to a supply chain podcast. I'm here for it. Let's sure, go. sure. It's Napoleon. He's in winter. His, his, his troops are banging forward to Moscow. Guess what? The supply lines get cut. 
what you want is your best players on the pitch in the last 10 minutes. You got 10 minutes of extra time, added time. Like they may have uh, struggled and, and grinded and like for 80 something minutes. And that's when the space starts to become available. And then you pull them off. Uh, like, I know you got to freshen up. I know you got to bring in options, give different looks. But, like, when the drop-off between not just ability but experience and cold-bloodedness and seeing a game and picking that lock, that one moment, leave fucking Odegaard on the pitch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it hurt that Martinelli came off in this game. I, I, I get it because you got to get Reese Nelson on there too. But I don't to be know. fair, Nelson was fantastic, but I hear you. I get them both on. He was. <laughs> Take off a center back, do what you got to do. But there was another choice in there, which was bringing on Eddie, and Eddie ends up being kind of on the left wing a bit, then central. Um, I don't, like, we've seen that Eddie isn't a great sub chasing a game, chasing a point, for whatever reasons, right? And maybe that's just the way it turned out. It was bad luck, and the games did blah, blah, blah. I would have kept Martinelli on there. I'd have brought Reese yeah. Nelson on there. I, I'd have used Martinelli as my second. I mean, the guy's already scored. You can't say to yourself, he's not feeling the game. He, he doesn't know where the net is. So, like, it's really tough as a manager. You you got you got to make the choices in-game at the moment. So, like, it's not a huge thing for me, but I'm 100% with you. With this young team, there's such a difference, not just sometimes in ability, but guys who are cold-blooded on the pitch. Martinelli scored big goals late in matches. Leave him on the fucking pitch. Saka, leave him on the pitch. Odegaard, Mm -hmm. leave him on the pitch. I don't care if they've struggled in the game. 99 times out of 100, that's because they've yet to experience a five or 10 minutes uh, patch where there's a bit of space. They They can find that moment, cut it open. I mean, if anybody can do it, Odegaard can. Leave him on the pitch. And that's, I think that's where, where football is a different sport than some other sports too, right? Like one goal changes everything. They don't need to be great for 70 minutes. They need to be great for 70 seconds, seven seconds, right? That's all. Odegaard needed to be good for 10 seconds, right? Get that ball shifted to his left, curl it into the far post. That's all it took. Right. And, and I think it could have been a pass between center back and full back that Odegaard spots for Saka because they've done it a thousand times. Leave him on the pitch. Martinelli, we know that pattern on the left. Leave him on the pitch. We, we, we tilt our analysis to emphasize the things that happen last in a match, not first in a match. And so criticizing like Gabriel Jesus, he missed chances. Our keeper gave them a goal inside 35 seconds. That's why we dropped points. Not because Jesus missed chances. We scored three goals. I mean, Saka missed a penalty. We were 2-0 up. He shouldn't have had to kick a penalty in to win the game. I think win the, the game when you're 2-0 Gabriel up. Gabriel Jesus is, he plays the game very much as a false nine. So he's going to do a lot of false nining. And when we're struggling to make something happen, he's going to drop a little deeper. And like, I know we get really frustrated with that, but it may be more symptom than disease, right? We're like, well, why doesn't he stay up and be more of an attacker? Well, guess what? You're not getting him the ball centrally. He's going to drop in, try and mix things up, create an option, then get back in the box. Uh, he's not the world's most clinical player. I, I think the point Clive made about Zinchenko also applies with uh, Gabriel Jesus. They're experienced guys of a certain age, stature, leaders in the team. 
The other side of it is they're both, if you ever hear them talk about things, about how they've, they're very young guys at heart. They weren't the leaders of, of the city team. Very, very talented players. This is the first time they've ever been leaders. They're both super emotional. And they're super emotional at this stage in the season. They are not the cold blood. They are not the guys who uh, bring a presence of been there, done that. They're the guys who are desperate to prove a point. Desperate, like, it is all that emotion. I'm with Clive on this. This is the time of the season where even if you've never done before, you've got to act like you've done it before. And there are certain players who have that cold blood. And you see that young emotion, even with Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus, where they're just so desperately eager to win this, to prove a point, to yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 so. It's all goodness, but they need to have the cold blood. And I think a lot of what we're diagnosing with Gabriel Jesus is the fact that we're not getting him the ball centrally. Not that he's not being central, that he's, he's you know, dropping deep. Now, yeah. sometimes it becomes more frustration and the choices are not perfect, but it's kind of symptom, not disease. Yeah. And, and look, it is fair. I just, I don't, I want to make sure I'm not shutting down anybody. Like it is fair to criticize your striker for not finishing chances. Yeah. Like it is. The irony is I can remember the Obamiang discussions we used to have back when he was good. It would be like yeah. if Obamiang's XG is up there, he's going to come good. You know, if he's getting one, 1.2.8 XG, he's doing what he needs to. He's getting his chances. They'll, they'll come. Where I worry about Obamiang is when he's not getting chances, right? Keep giving Gabriel Jesus 1.4 expected goals. That means our attack is working. That means he's in the box. That means yeah. he's getting opportunities. It'll come good. And I, I think it'll come good on Wednesday. Uh, uh, Clive, because we need to just at least have a quick chat on City before we say goodbye here. Oh, you want to... Uh, okay, one quick line on uh, Jesus. My, my apologies. My, my, my only line is, is um, I thought he looked a bit tired in the first, in phases of that game. I looked down on that mm. pitch, and for the first time I looked down, I thought, you know what? You don't look sharp today, mate. And when we come out from an injury and we feed him back in, we just expect it just to continue. There will be that dead game when it just catches you up. And I thought he was dead. And funny enough, when Eddie came on, and they both started showing their feet back to goal in the box... That's when everything changed. That's when the game became easy. So when Eddie came on, he was like two centre forwards. Um, Jesus maybe to the right side, Eddie to the left side. We were playing the ball into feet and suddenly they were all over the place. They were done. They were pushed back. And so we found a solution towards the end of the game. And um, so, yeah, but it's the first time I looked down and, and what surprised me about Jesus since he arrived is his pure physicality, intensity, agility and speed. And I looked down the first phase of that game and I thought, wow, you're you're looking a little bit leaden footed today. And that was the first Can, time I saw that. And maybe a bit frustrated and like uh, Yeah, those, I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. Do, 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 do you do you worry at all about how involved he was getting with like the referee and the like he is an emotional player, he's always been, but I thought he he was showing more frustration in this game. It seemed like the the whole thing just felt edgy and emotional. Like like the the like the pressure is getting to them. I hate, you know, everybody wants to know, is Arsenal bottling it? Like, yeah, a little bit. You know what? 2-0 lead away, we drop it. 2-0 lead away, we drop it. Th two points dropped at home to the worst team in the league with your goalkeeper literally throwing it to them. Like, yeah, you're bottling it a little bit. The word bottle is dumb and the whole idea is dumb. But like, it is about pressure. This is the most pressurized part of the season. They're trying to do something the club hasn't done in a decade. They're trying to do something they've never done. As, as young players, to be fair, Jesus and, and Zinchenko have. But like, so yeah, yeah, the pressure's probably getting in them a little bit. But like, 
Elliot, we had that question at the live event mm-hmm. talking about bottling or somebody suggested it was a wobble. I still like my idea. It's not bottle. It's not wobble. It's bobble. It's something in between. There is a bit of waddle. Wattle could be waddle. There's something in between. It's like it's not a, a bottle, but we're definitely feeling something. I'm going with bobble. It's in the middle of the spectrum. Um, this team can turn it around. Yeah. We're 10 games um, unbeaten, right? We're 10 games yep. unbeaten, seven wins, three draws. Funny, it's isn't just it? the nature of how that happens. It's a, and it's how you can turn your mind around and turn a five point lead into something worse than <laughs> anything in the world. And and that's yeah. what we're all doing. And I'm doing it. You know, I'm, I'm I was depressed po- on it's Friday. It's incredible. Night. We're five points ahead. Okay, they got two games in hand. But if it wasn't fucking City, if it wasn't fucking City, with their mm-hmm. 110 charges unanswered. 134, but no, let's not, oh, let's not yeah. argue. <laughs> but, but, but who's counting? Um, well, <laughs> look, I, I do think that we should say this. That fight back was important. I think Huge. if that game ends as a loss, he, as, and, and the, the draw's not good enough, and you shouldn't draw that game, I think it's worth pointing out, City, City drew at home to Everton under Frank Lampard, right? Like, weird things can happen in this league, but you can't lose that game. And you can't lose that game in the manner we were headed to lose it with your head sunk, sunk low and no fight back. And they did fight back and they did get it to 3-3. And because we didn't get it to 4-3, people were looking at, why didn't we score the fourth? I think that's a little bit petty. I know there's a lot of frustration at Thomas Party's shot at the end. Here's what I'll say about it. It's absolutely one of the dumbest things I've seen a player do. It's also the case that if he swings that out to whoever that is standing out on the right flank, Odegaard or whoever it is, yeah. there's that, or Ben White, there's every chance the ref blows up there. That's going to be the last kick of the game, right? I mean, it's it's past 98 minutes at that point. He should swing it to the right, and we should get we one more ball in the box. Or, we shouldn't talk about but, it. Just, but a shot taken. Well, I was going to say a shot taken at 98 at in, at the 98th minute of a three-three isn't why you didn't win, right? I mean, we'd love to see one more ball into the box, and maybe we get a 99th minute winner. But like, it was it was dumb. But it's not the reason we didn't win. The the fight back is important to me, though. The, the fight back, I think, is something – because as dumb as it is to be able to say, hey, we're 10 matches unbeaten. We never say die. We never quit. We defended all hands to the pump at Anfield. You know, we, we clawed back three goals, you know, when it, when it looked like all hope was lost at home. Like, you can, you can spin it to the group and you can spin it to the world that you're 10 games unbeaten – but you have to get that fight back. And we did fight back. And, and it puts us in a position now, Clive, where it is still the case. You know, everybody has just sort of tamely assumed that Manchester City is going to win all the rest of their games. That's done. And I think we've said it before and we'll say it again. If Manchester City win all the rest of their games, they're probably one of the best teams the league has ever seen. They're going to win the treble. And you tip your cap to them and say, it's amazing we ran them close. A couple of things. We need to run them close. What we cannot do is fall away. I I think if we get to 89 points, 88 points, and they go to 91, and we don't quite get there, and they win the treble, it's it's going to be looked as a massive, massive success. But if we finish on 82 points, and we're 10 points back of them when all is said and done, even though it's still a massive success, let me be clear, I think in the context of what happened last season, and what will have happened this season, there will always be that seed of doubt. Is this, is there something in this team that they, you know, when the 
when the going gets tough at the end of the season, they they have a, a mentality issue. I don't think the goal now should be, you know, uh, a, a, vic, a gl- glorious failure. I don't think the goal now should be second place glorious. The goal now should be the title. We are five points clear. Yes, they have two games in hand. We are still the top of the table team. And Clive, we get to go to the Etihad and play in the game of the season. We get to be on the stage, right? If you're an actor, if you're a singer, what's what's your goal? To be the best dinner theater performer that Tampa Bay has ever seen? No. <laughs> your goal is to be on Broadway. Your goal is to be in Hollywood. Your goal is to, you know, play Elliot, Wem- is, play is Wembley. Is this about you? Yeah, it's just about your Your goal is not to be singing Walking in Memphis at Redline VR in Chicago karaoke. Your goal is to be on the stage at Wembley, with no offense to Redline VR, which is a lovely host. Um, Your goal is to be in this game. And this is the game of the season. This may be the game of the season all of Europe outside of those two legs Manchester City have coming up. And we're in it. And we're very much in it. So what's it going to take? What's it going to take and what, what does Mikel Arteta have to do? Because we cannot lose this game and still have a title challenge. I think that is clear. But I don't think it is a foregone conclusion that we can't take something. We have taken, it says here, three points off Manchester City in the Premier League uh, since 1904. So that's not great. What do we have to do? Yeah, well, hopefully Granit Xhaka is fit and available to come back into the team. I think that solves a lot of um, the issues that I have around our stability. And I firmly believe this week we just have to come back with something. And, and if we do that, this is all on. And I, and I will say it again, Real Madrid is no joke. And they will strip Man City of their composure and serenity that they currently seem to have. You know, they will stretch them out. They will uncover things in their emotional psyche that maybe the teams in the Premier League are not doing at the moment. But we'll soon find out. If they brush Real Madrid aside, then <laughs> then delete this for the podcast, please, Elliot. But but um, but I don't think they will, based on what I'm seeing. I think it's going to be a really hard two games. It's going to take something from them. So we just need to be in the room. And to me, that means you've got to come back from City with a draw. If we get a win, absolutely brilliant. But if we get a draw, that, that, that turns us around the corner. Because suddenly, mm. and one more draw will be buzzing. You know, the other three draws we just had, we don't worry about them. One more draw. Give me one more draw. Seven wins, four draws, and then we go back into the winning winning style of things. And we're downhill now. We're downhill on the way home. This is the moment. Are we in a physical and emotional shape for this game? I walked out of that ground thinking, we need some recovery time, this team. This team needs to pop into Henlow Grange and get their shoulders rubbed, mate and get into a spa. <laughs> they need to... Me too. Me too. They, need to, they need to get away from it all and change the environment and just reset. It's just a game of football and they can play. Go back to playing. Go back to showing. If you don't make it, make sure you don't make it being who you are. You know? And um, just go back to playing properly and really respect your position at every single moment. Go back to making sure we've got our our build up people behind the ball who can build up and we take a, and we allow people to be strong in their in their rightful primary skill sets and maybe we don't invert our fullback in this game we keep our fullbacks in place maybe we have our Granit Xhaka in, in, in a double pivot you know what I would do Elliot you know that's what exactly what I want to do right and then and then say to them can you mark our 21 year old speedsters 
because I don't think you can with centre-backs. Yeah. I don't think you can, right? Can Gabriel Jesus show his feet with Odegaard, almost like double tens, double false nines, and create almost three box, two boxes in there with a double pivot and a box in front and your two centre-backs behind. And say to City, wherever you go, you've got to come back into that central zone. Are we strong enough to manage them? Then suddenly, if we are playing Rob Holden, which some people don't want to do, but I think we will, suddenly you're asking him to defend an area with people around him. And last time I looked, he can do that. It's when the space becomes too big and he has decisions to make, then it becomes indecisive, and then we react on that indecision. So that's what I'd like to see change for this for this game. And um, and then if we don't make it, we don't make it. And we find out. Mm. We find out what we need to do for next year. And then we go into transfer mode. And we and the type of emotional and technical player we need to bring in. Players that can manage emotion, manage momentums, create momentums is what we need to bring into this group. And and um, for me a little bit more physicality in top end of pitch, but you know I'm always gonna say that. And so yeah, yeah. It's, it's there for us, mate. It's there for us. It's not gone. We just need to keep our minds positive. Yeah, I, I have to admit, right? Like I the duality of of me is that I think we're well in this game. And when I've seen us play City, I think we've been well in the game. But the way we're defending right now, I have a little bit of the fear. I'll tell you this. If our if our defensive line drops away a little bit like it has, Holland is going to ruin us. You got to get up there and, and get in his face and win that physical battle, but not play it the way we did. Like Rob Holding has to think a little bit about the trip to White Hart Lane last season with this game in mind, I think in terms of having the right the right mentality, or will he be involved? Paul, I think that is a question a lot of people want to know. Mm. People want party at right back and white at center back and Jorginho at center. And like, I understand it. I still think changing five positions to protect one probably leads to more problems than just trying to nurse that one through the game. But I can understand given what we've done defensively, two conceded, two conceded, three conceded, that people are going to say we have to make changes. Do you expect there to be any changes? I think there might be. I think this is one game you don't want to play 90 minutes of football uh, against Man City at the Etihad. We're a brilliant counter-attacking team. Um, I'd love to see some version of us sitting a little deeper, maybe sitting quite a bit. Like who... Uh, they're unbeaten at home this season, apart from Brentford. Um, counterattack these bastards. We can get one or two goals on the break. We had, we had that game, uh, what was it, last season, uh, in the, the new year, where we scored a brilliant goal, and it was basically them pushing us back, us taking the ball, playing up the wings. Kieran Tierney, Saka meets it in the middle. Beautiful sweeping counterattack move. Let's keep it a little tight. Like I wouldn't mind a three-five-two. Put tr- put eleven guys on the pitch who are all starters: Trossard, uh, Jesus as your two attacking strikers, Saka, Martinelli as kind of wing backs. Um, three in midfield, our usual three. Three at the back. Maybe not Rob Holding. Maybe Rob Holding. Ben White pulled it. Like there are. Could you options. go like White and Gabriel with like Party as a third center back? You know that that stopper center back, and then you have Jorginho ahead of him. I mean, you know, there's things you could do. There are there's things you could do. do. 
Yeah. I think Arteta, Arteta's talked about surprising the opposition, he, but he hasn't tried to do that lately, right? He hasn't tried to surprise the opposition. He's tried to keep playing the way we play. City, mm. away from home, it, like he's not going to want to go out there and see if we can outscore City at the Etihad in this current situation. I think he's going to do something different. We're going to look at a stat guy and a civilian later on, me and Scott, what, awesome. what thoughts, what options we're going to, if anybody's got any suggestions, tweet them in. Um, but yeah, I think we gotta, and we will do something different. Yeah. I, it, it's tough in a way though, because I think the worst version of this arsenal is an arsenal bunkered in and just trying to repel Manchester city's many ways of attacking you. I, I think where city look beatable is when you can turn them around and have them running at their own goal. Um, even Bayern who got, got a bit battered, I mean that first leg, Bayern had plenty of chances themselves to hurt City. Um, so I think you, you've got to you've got to ensure that you're not just pinned back. And interestingly, when we played City recently, look what's happened. We've controlled the possession, and City have gone long. Now, to be fair, they've done that because it's worked. <laughs> We've just been super vulnerable to it. So I'm I'm very curious to see what we do. I I am inclined. Well, they to went think- long in the first half. The second half, they pressed the BJs out of our back yeah. line. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. like it that's. It, that's going to be two halves of that against the at the Etihad. I think you take a setup and a shape that works for that. Yep, um, Clyde. The final final word. I know we got to get out. Yeah, of here. I think trying to read the City game is going to be difficult. Reading our yeah. even reading our first two games we've had so far, I don't think we'd all agree on how that went. You know, I thought in that game at, at the Emirates, I thought they went away from the inverted left-back situation, put in their four centre-backs, and since they've done that, they've discouraged every team from attacking them. And that's what they've done. They've stabilised their team. <laughs> you know, you've mm-hmm. heard me say this a few times. they stabilised yeah. their team, and they've, they've discouraged anybody from think they're going to get some change from them. Right? So, and that's what you need to do at these high-pressure moments. You need to make sure you take away hope. You don't give people hope. You take it away. Because people will grab it. If you're the top bottom of the league or you're anywhere, you will grab it as someone if you show people vulnerability. Take it away, solidify, and go from there. We'll do um, a full preview of this game tomorrow over on the Patreon side of things. We'll have an instant reaction on Wednesday. Of course, we'll have the main pod on Thursday. So there's a lot more coming. Uh, there's a stats kind of civilian coming today. I've got a really special interview that I'm recording later today that'll be out um, probably today for patrons and tomorrow for everybody. So Lots more to come on this game specifically. It is a big moment in our season. Let's just, let's be there for it. You know what I mean? Let's be there in that moment and and be a part of that game and just don't go out on your shield, you know, or, or go out on your shield. I never know if that's a good thing. Go out on your shield. Go out on your shield. That's the thing, right? Like we are the team at the top of the table and they're the team chasing us. Let's make them take it from us, you know? Um, and, and instead of just meekly waiting for it to happen. So I, it's, it's the game we want to be in. I don't think it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch, but it's a hell of a lot of fun to be in it. And that's how we should be feeling. A lot more to come on this, as I said. So Paul's on Twitter, Pops my pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Fundraisers at 360,000 pounds, everybody. We're going to do the drawing for the Brighton game uh, in about a week. So that drawing is coming up. Thanks for everyone who contributed that. We love you. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, City No.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.